Well, thanks for being here. Um, today's session is a continuation of uh, uh, the parenting series seminar, Girls and Motherhoods, today's topic, um, which I really had to like, fight to get this topic. Everyone wanted it, to talk about it, and um, I had to like, you know, I have four girls, I have to take it, you know. Not really, it, was stayed, la- it stayed open for a while. Um, l- let's go ahead and start with uh, prayer. So if you'll pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to gather to learn more about your word and how to apply it to our lives, and specifically today's uh, topic. Uh, it's a tough world, and we just thank you for uh, the, the truth and uh, clarity that you give us through your Holy Bible. I pray that you'll give us uh, open hearts to receive it and the strength and courage to uh, put it into practice in our daily lives. Uh, help us to be a good witness to our young ones and to uh, our world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, my name is Eric McCall, for y'all. For those that don't know me, which I think most do, nice to meet you. Um, I have four daughters. I'm sure you've come across some of them. Uh, 14, 10, 7, and 5. So, you would think that would make me an expert, but really, like Lanny said last week, it's just this is just my way to learn more so I don't mess things up too, but, um, but it's neat how when you go through these things that you learn more about the topic you're teaching on for yourself, which is sort of a kind of a selfish thing, but you're, you're just, you're absorbing a lot of stuff, so it's neat to kind of go through this um, having four, four daughters. So, um, you know, we had three, and then late 30s, we got pregnant, kind of a surprise one, and um, I really was terrified of having a boy because we'd had three girls, and you kind of just get into the rhythm of how uh, how it goes with all of the stuff that go with girls, and even to some degree their personalities. They're all they're they're different, but um, so I got a fourth, and still still living the struggle. So um, hopefully, you guys can get out of this. Um, some of what I did too. So, um, you know, if you watch TV, go through um, social media, watching movies, all these different things, you're going to see um, lots of ads and things and themes that make it look like a woman can just have it all. They can work, run a home, multitask to perfection, um, juggle kids, um, and then all the husband types that Lenny talked about, you know, most of them are portrayed as inept um, or sort of absent. They can be glamorous, attractive, independent, rich, I mean, you name it. So the world is kind of putting that image out there. Um, and this has sort of been the way it's been going for, for quite a while. And so the, the, the medium for delivery changes, but it's still the same thing. And so when you think about some of those descriptions, you know, I feel like I'm married to a woman who does a lot of those things very well. Um, she's strong and beautiful, can multitask, and stands up for herself and speaks her mind. But outside of the framework of a biblical worldview, those messages sort of then turn into indignance, hypersexuality, very competitive, superiority, sort of scornful in, in thought. So... Today, the optical, optimal woman 
women, woman, seems to sort of be like a hybrid of all sorts of things. They're masculine, they're feminine, there's all kinds of like hybrid versions of what a woman's supposed to be or can be. Um, and now th those don't even, you don't have to be a woman to be a hybrid of those things. So the definition of a woman is evolving every day. And so, and it's, you know, I kind of laughed to myself and I thought the way the world was portraying a woman is probably the only evidence of actual evolution from one species to another. And it just kind of made me chuckle a little bit. And so wherever we look outside of these walls in our homes, we're going to see um, musicians, movie stars, business people, uh, politicians, athletes, and you know, sort of taught to be a warrior woman. And so our lives are not based off of song or, or a movie or an Instagram post um, that's been staged. And so um, if you kind of like get past that and listen and observe, you're going to see that there's struggles with trying to actually do those things and trying to have it all. There's, there's doubts and struggles that come with trying to have it all or, or be it all. And so um, sometimes it's a struggle to figure out, okay, what, what defines a man? What defines a woman? How do you put it into like contextual, real words that make sense? Uh, maybe you've struggled on how to encourage your wife to embrace her femininity. Uh, you've got girls like I do trying to raise them. Um, I can't answer all of those questions, of course, but we can kind of go back to the Bible and what God's plan for women and their roles as mothers and daughters are. So... Um, I am a male, so there's some little details that I can't be perfect with in describing those. Um, but there are lots of women in this church that you guys can lean on and you, they can sort of help be a mentor for your daughters if you have daughters. So I, I would encourage you to reach out um, to the mature and experienced women of this church too. There's a wealth of knowledge there that's biblically sound. And so we've got the major points of biblical womanhood in the scripture, and then we've got our church community that we can lean on to. So, to, so today we're going to kind of talk about broad vision. Is this echoing, or am I just like, okay. It still sounds weird. All right. I don't have the, the printout here. I've kind of got like a edited version, so I guess hopefully we can keep along as best keep up as best as possible, but it's probably going to be sort of scattered. So we have to remind ourselves what God's big picture of gender is. We say that God intends to project his image differently through men and women who are created equally in his image. So Genesis 127, which was brought up last week too, says that so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So therefore, we should treat men and women with equal dignity, knowing that God made men and women to be equal in value to him. But at the same time, they're not interchangeable. The biblical idea is that men and women are to complement one, one another, serve as one another's counterparts, um, and sort of complete the other one. 
And this is kind of where I would picture like Kelly saying, like, you complete me. So God gives us these complementary roles so that we can sort of represent Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. They're not interchangeable. So the theme last week continues today, which is men and women are not interchangeable. Just like Christ and the church are not interchangeable. So this complementary design in terms of headship, submission, um, is discussed in the Bible, but it's but it's also kind of like fleshed out in the details of their activities and their their roles. Um, and those roles are God ordained in God God's original design. And so the differentiated roles for men and women are not the result of the fall, but the abuse of those roles certainly are. So the roles for men and women are not the result of the fall, but the abuse of those roles are. But our unique roles and our design to fit those roles roles is God's perfect plan for us in his creation. But that idea is completely basically despised in our culture. So if you kind of hint at this biblical uh, submission headship relationship, even at just a superficial face value, you're a hater, male chauvinist, misogynistic, but this is not even a new thing now. It's been going on for you know, 60 years or you know, with a head of steam for sure. Betty Friedan uh, helped launch a movement to liberate women from what she called an, an enslaving stereotype. So this feminine mystique, as she called it, trapped women in homes which she called comfortable concentration camps. So this is misguided, but if, you're, if your viewpoint is a humanistic worldview where you are basically your own little G God, this freedom turns out to be um, untrue. But they didn't all. They don't all think that. You kind of take that into consideration with also some of the abandonment that we have of men from their duty and culture, and it just kind of adds fuel to a feminist movement. Um, and there's really no excuse for that, especially from from us. And as Landy mentioned, there's different types of men. So I kind of feel like we have a little bit of a plague of like Peter Pan's and Happy Gilmore's running around that you know, kind of just shuck their duties and uh, enjoy their lives. And in broadly speaking, so many issues in society with almost everything has to deal with, uh, you know, an absence of men. But if, a man, if the men abandon their roles, then what are the women to do? So the world tells them to do it, do it themselves, and that they don't need a man. But as Christians, we know that that, that's not the truth, and the truth will set us free. And that gives us some, some liberation. Elizabeth Elliot, who is a, a missionary and a speaker and author, she said that um, we must and do deplore the stereotypes that caricature the divine distinctions between men and women. We deplore the abuses perpetrated by men against women, but have we forgotten the archetypes? Stereotype 
is a word generally used disparagingly to denote a fixed or conventional notion or pattern. An archetype, archetype is the original pattern or model. I'm not here to defend stereotypes of femininity, but to try to focus on the original pattern. The first woman was made specifically for the first man, a helper to meet, respond to, surrender to, and compliment him. But Eve, in her refusal to accept the will of God, refused her femininity. Adam, in his capitulation to her suggestion, abdicated his masculine responsibility for her. It was the first instance of what we would recognize now as role reversal. This definite disobedience refined the original pattern and things have been in an awful mess ever since. The world looks for happiness through self-assertion, and the Christian knows that joy is found in self-abandonment. I had never given this thought process to Adam and Eve, but it, it was kind of like eye-opening to think that this approach that we struggle with now was part of that fall. So it's just a neat angle that spins off, so it just provides some extra depth to thinking through this. So Matthew 10.39 says, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So if we're going to speak about womanhood, faithfully and truthfully, we have to rely on the Bible. Um, Carolyn Mahoney um, and her daughters wrote a book called Girl Talk, and they talked about how the biblical language is, is kind of dying off. Self-controlled, helper, gentle and quiet, submissive, mother. People now are like, are you serious? That's, those aren't things that I want to describe me or my daughters. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an offshoot of it. But if we look at God's design and what stands out really in that is how much he has to say about it. There's just books about this. Genesis 1, 2, Proverbs 31, Ephesians 5, Titus 2, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Peter 3, um, those all tell us why a woman was created. The context of the purpose that she's to fulfill and the traits that really kind of define her. So when the world mocks us, we have answers to what we should be doing and, and why. God's word, word is proven to be immovable, and in this case it's no different. So many people think, and sometimes even Christians too, we kind of almost kind of get lulled or tricked or romanticized into kind of thinking that men and women um, have to be equal, that they must be interchangeable. And that's going to kind of be the key word, it's interchangeable. But if you think about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are equal, but in every single way. That's got like at the basis of our doctrine. But they're not interchangeable. Each fulfills their own role. For Christ, that meant humiliation and death. And he constantly said, I will do the will of my Father. But yet he still receives all the glory with the Father and Holy Spirit. And so gender is kind of like a really neat, beautiful re reflection of the nature of God and the gospel. Christ and the church. So this, this, this attack on biblical femininity... It's not new. It's been going on for a long time, but it's just really kind of like fever-pitched. You know, it's even violent now. 
And so we have to take it equally as seriously. But this is not something that's new to God. It's not new to the Bible. We don't have to have some new book written. It's all, it's all here. So the Bible has all we need to know how to live and how to answer these, the, the, these attacks and these um, conflicts with the world. So what does um, the, the female reflection of God's image in the gospel look like? It's, definitions are tough. You know, it can be phrased lots of ways, but John Piper has, has one, and that's section 2A. And the definition says, At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to women's differing relationships. So we don't want just any femininity for our girls. The world offers tons of versions. Popular version now looks a lot like masculinity, independent, assertive, vocal. Another version uh, looks a lot like the harlot from Proverbs. And if you just ask any mom with young girls in here now, um, especially like with Lee doing back-to-school shopping, the challenge of just finding clothing for your girls is tough. Um, it's a challenge. Since I'm here talking to you, I think it's a good time to tell my girls that we may just do like an Amish dress code and just long sleeves to the ankles that way we just don't have to worry. Is that okay? No. I'll do an Amish beard. How about that? We'll... So, um, these hybrids, too, um, of what femininity looks like, too, we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end, but they, they want women to be um, self-oriented, promote themselves in their professions and their pleasures and to kind of see themselves as their own uh, most important thing. And then, if possible, use that to exercise power over men. So that's kind of what the world's telling us. Uh, Titus 2, though, pictures a mature Christian woman. So this is in quotes. Older women, Paul writes Timothy, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So this is a woman that is others-centered and seeks to bring glory to God, not herself. So she does this by living a life in service to others that's marked by modesty, purity, discretion. She loves her husband and children. Uh, she's not primarily focused on self-fulfillment. She is pure, not consumed by superficial romances offered by the world and dressing to, to suit. She's busy at home, capitalizing on that as her primary place of fruitful ministry. And that's to her husband, to her children, uh, back to the church and then to the world. Uh, she's kind, caring for others. She submits to her husband, portraying the church's loving submission to Christ. 
So we're kind of talking a, a lot about like husbands, wives, mothers, but biblical womanhood is really for all women at all ages. Um, it begins when a, when a baby girl is conceived, and then we be, just begin witnessing its glory right in front of our eyes from the moment they're born. Um, and, and a woman doesn't have to be married to live a biblically faithful life in this area too. And so whether God has ordained our daughters to be married or unmarried, we want to train their ambitions with Scripture and provide them with the skills to live that out through a biblical ambition. And so our, our girls, our daughters, our, our young women, not just little girls all the time. So we're, we're raising, like Lanny mentioned with the boys, we're raising young men. We're raising young women. These aren't, they may be in girl form, but we're raising them to be a godly woman. So there are some specific things that we want to kind of take from that. So if we go down to 2B, mothers must model these things. So first, or, or kind of like as a beginning, mothers have to devote themselves to understand what these things are. Um, it, it, it's a battle for the mind, and that is going to be conformed to the world or to a biblical worldview, one, one or the other. So then as, as you understand these traits, then you are to model them. Let her see you serving your home, serving others. Let her see you trust your husband's leadership. Uh, this does not mean being just mindlessly agreeable. Um, and then model and respect trust during and after decisions uh, that he makes. If you're single and don't think you have the gift of singleness, then do you aspire to a marriage where you and your husband will display those complementary biblical roles? Are you using your single life to serve others? Do you submit to the appropriate male leadership in your life now? And fathers, too, have to, have to just know and understand that there, there's an onslaught um, from the culture that our wives and daughters are facing. So we need to study this issue and read the Bible and adopt biblical priorities for the women in our families, too. And then we need to provide strong leadership that allows them to thrive. But modeling is not enough. It helps a lot. Um, since this goes so much with like just the second hand of what Lanny talked about, you know, that's there's a lot of overlap and carryover and some common ground there. But he talked about how kids grow up and they learn from watching. And so if you model it, they're going to learn a ton from you. But we also want to instruct them, um, pray for them, give them practical training, and then just love them. So have I mentioned that boys and girls are not interchangeable? It just, that's probably all anybody will remember today is interchangeable. So our goals for them have to be different too. So we have to encourage our girls to know, daughters to know that God made them wonderfully female. There's more to being female than certain things, you know, physical attributes, but they're female on the inside too. 
So living out God's design for them to be a woman is is a pretty high calling. It's it's an equal calling as for boys. So we need to show them the character of Christ. We're not a slave to tradition. Um, and they are to live freely in God's image under the authority of his word. So we have to kind of consider how we train up our daughters' hearts for what their hearts will seek after. What are they going to love? What are they going to long for? What are their ambitions? And what's the framework and motivation behind all of those things? And then for us too, what goals and hopes do we have for them? And are our hopes and goals for them, are they rooted in God's word too? Another suggestion too is is that I think um, husbands and fathers should constantly remind our children how amazing our wives are. So I want my girls to see Lee modeling this, but also to hear me speaking of how amazing she is. So we need to build up our wives in front of our children. And so with that affirmation, this is a wonderful Proverbs 31 way of seeing kids seeing their mothers um, and then the father's loving admiration of that. And it provides a great vision for, the, for our daughters as they grow up. So we want to make sure, or, or, or to be clear, we want to make sure that a, a child doesn't love Christ, but that, that we want in them a woman that grows up to love Christ. So we should really kind of pray biblical terms over them, to them. Father, make my girls into godly young women. Help them to grow up to be self-controlled. Make them pure. Make them gentle like Jesus. Prepare them to be strong and beautiful helpers. Give her the beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. And then we, we need to pray that the Bible um, will help us to make these things the, the longing of their hearts. Our daughters, daughters need practical training too. Uh, we need to show them and teach them how to keep a home. Uh, point out specific things that you do to love their father um, but don't overlook the practical. There's, there's, there's tons of things. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of young women arrive at marriage knowing lots of things, but maybe not a lot of practical, practical things on how to be a wife, how to be a mother, how to run this home. So that's, a, that's sort of like an everyday um, opportunity. Then the practical things will sort of extend into spiritual things. They kind of just flow from one to the other. It's just conversation. So we also want to talk about purity. So we can teach modesty from a young age. Our bodies are not meant to be for attracting attention or even like an object for us to perfect. Social media... Netflix, uh, TV, movies, a thousand things. Girls will quickly pick up on that they can dress a certain way, move a certain way, and that will give them influence and power over men. So we need to teach them what modest dress looks like and that modesty is actually more beautiful. We need to cultivate kindness. We need to encourage our girls to use their speech to, to edify and build up. 
not to gossip or be bossy. We need to talk to our daughters about the beauty of the heart, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, and how um, that has great worth in God's sight. So even at young ages, you can see the spirit of a girl who, if not lovingly and firmly corrected, will grow up to be a bossy, critical, spiteful wife who will attempt to usurp her husband's authority and kind of lord it over him, especially if he's a wimp. And, of course, our kids need love. Titus 2 says to love your children. And if you think about that, you kind of think, well, yeah, you, you know, it's, that's easy. But here's a little quick list of ways or how you can love your children. Um, pray for them and with them. Take an interest in what they're doing. Listen closely to what they talk to you about. Express affection. Make memories and encourage, encourage, encourage. Seems like daughters can do anything if the dad gives them that little shot of affirmation. So the world looks for happiness through self-assertion. And we know it's from self-abandonment. So our Father God knows this, is, knows this is a challenge. And if we look at 1 Peter 3, 5 and 6, where he exhorts women to put their hope in God and not give way to fear, be courageous. The, the culture is going to despise you. But in Christ, women are freed from fear. Our daughters can trust God's design because they can trust God's word. Genesis to Revelation, and everything in between. And God will bless them in this role that that he's given them. So so for mothers slash ladies, are you convinced this liberation is for you? I would urge you to be convinced and take delight in this role that is at the center of God's will. Explore what it means that God has made you female. And then I would encourage you to consider ways that you may have adopted worldly thinking and maybe kind of balking at some of God's design. Are we taking our cues from the world or from Scripture? There are a lot of things, especially uh, in in Ephesians, Colossians, and and Proverbs, that, that have taken out of context to, a, to like a non-believing humanist sort of person, some of these things will seem ri- ridiculous and it's kind of hard to talk to them about some of these topics. But if you read a little bit more and you're a believer, you'll see that if you almost take like a line on approach, male, female, uh, it's perfect counterpart approach. But if you say, you know, wives submit and then they just walk off, um, that's not very appealing and... That's, you know, that's a hard argument if you take that thing out of context and try to talk to a non-believer about those things. But if you look at the role of the husband, of male, then you've got perfect, like, dovetailed compliments. 
Wives are submitting, but they're submitting to a husband who is to love their wife as Christ loved the church. So for our daughters, we need to teach them that they'll be the happiest and have the most joy in what God has made them to do. And in the moments when we're teaching and talking to them, they may not, may not understand it or may not even believe it. Um, but we need to be persistent in that, um, in that teaching. Biblical womanhood is a place of safety, and it's a blessing. It's not, it's not life wasted, gifts wasted, um, or missing opportunities. That's a lie. And so it's a life well used for the glory of God. And they're the most like Christ when they take on this role. So we need to encourage them to trust God with their lives, not give way to fear, cultivate inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit and not outward adornment. So women actively affirm the leadership of men when they live cheerfully under the authority of their husbands, fathers, or elders of the church every season of life. The mature Christian woman receives her husband's provision and authority as a rich blessing, not provocation. If she's single, she doesn't compete with men to prove that she's just as good as they are, but she's happy in their differences and is also happy to rely on their areas of of strength. Mothers should aspire to be opposite of the quarrelsome wife. Do you undercut his leadership by complaining about him to others? Or even to his face about being home late from work, or maybe he made a bad decision, didn't go very well. This means you don't talk about stuff, um, but it's kind of a when and a how kind of thing. And so I would encourage you to teach about the goodness of your husband's leadership. Say things like, it's good that your dad leads our home and provides. God gave him that, gave him that responsibility, and we're going to follow his leadership. And with our daughters, we need to encourage them to affirm a father's leadership. Um, It's not an an exact parallel, but good practice for life in the church if the Lord wills up marriage. And that is how she lives under God's authority. All right. I may need to skip forward a little bit. Man, it seems like so much, Ryan. Okay, I'm going to go down to um, E. What is that? I don't know. I'm not sure what page. Biblical femininity nurtures a woman's role, noble role as helper. So God said it was not good for men to be alone, so he provided a helper. So Adam was not lonely. He needed help. He had a great relationship with God, but he was incompetent. He needed help. So when we think of helper, we kind of have like a modern, like little kid, cringy thought of it, like this person who is like mommy's little helper. They're almost not even needed. Um, I'll let you help, but it's just so you can learn something and you're not even really helping me. But it's but in scripture it's a it's a very strong word. 
Um, and the more to, majority of the time it's used of God himself. So women don't help from a point of weakness. They help because that's what God has ordained their strength to be. Proverbs 31 is a great picture of an industrious, skilled woman using her abilities and intelligence to serve her family, household, and community. So if you take Proverbs 31, Titus 2, you kind of get a composite picture of how the women are to help husbands, church, the church, and the world. So one way women help their husbands is by having and raising children. So this is E1. A woman is oriented to her husband, not primarily to themselves. And that's also to say that a husband is not oriented to himself. He used to be oriented to God and to leading his family to serve God. So Psalm 127 teaches us that children are, are a blessing and like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Bearing children, raising children, it's a special gift. Literally no one can do it, and God has given that gift to women. Women are nurturers of life. Um, we want to cultivate with our daughters a love for children. Many people in our culture sort of have this disdain for children. They're obstacles. Um, I can't do what I want. I can't live my full life or your best life now. But that approach from that can't wait till they're out of here at 18 kind of thing, um, we want to train our daughters the opposite of that. We want them to know that children are a blessing, help them learn to care for children. Um, and for single sisters of the church too, it's the same thing. Um, they, you can cultivate a concern for children. Uh, nieces, nephews, we've got huge families at this church, so they're, there's some great opportunities. Uh, some of my you know, like fondest memories are being a little kid and having relationships with older people in the church. You know, that's, it was just very neat, some, just some good memories. So women also need to help their husbands by being busy at home. Uh, Andreas Kostenberger, the author of God, Marriage, and Family, writes that women are to be devoted first and foremost to the home, supervising their households with discretion and industry. So that's, that's not really how the culture tells us to think about homemaking for women, but it's how Scripture says to think of it. That's what Proverbs 31 and Titus 2 are talking about. You're the household manager, supervisor, the COO of this enterprise that is operating specifically out of the home. John MacArthur, in one of his parenting books, points out that all of that, or none of it, means that a woman can't work outside of the home. But if she's not devoted first and foremost to her home and family, it's hard to give like parenting techniques, he says, to make up for putting that first. John Piper says that he prays for women that you not only pose the question, career or full-time homemaker, but to ask just as seriously full-time career or freedom of ministry. Which would be greater for the kingdom, to work for someone who tells you what to do to make his or her business prosper, or to be God's free agent dreaming your own dream about how your time and your home and your creativity could make God's business prosper. Not everyone is doing that now. It's not possible. Maybe it's a goal. Um, 
So I hope that doesn't come across as like a guilt trip if you're not in that situation now. Um, Lisa's a stay-at-home mom now, but she's got a master's degree. She ran an outpatient clinic. Um, she put me through optometry school and then was the breadwinner when I was trying to get my career started. She was glad to do it. She was great at it. And if, I had, if she had to, she'd be willing to do it again. So it's not a, a knock against a working woman. Um, but we want those goals to also translate to our daughters too. We want them to have high goals with their time, their home, their creativity, and how they're going to put it to use. We want them to make God's business prosper, not just singularly focused on their needs. We shouldn't care about how successful they are, how much money they make, where they live, but are they following Christ, living a life that's pleasing to him, and his role set for them as a woman. Uh, Women are called to be a helper to the church. Uh, That's a huge area of service. It's God's household. Um, Church family is, is very important. And biblical femininity adorns that family too as the body of Christ. Our girls and daughters can serve along uh, the ladies of the church. There's lots of areas. Cooking meals, helping the nursery, helping elderly members with things. Um, Third thing is that they're called to be a helper to the world. Godly family builds up the church. The church then represents Christ to the world. The family does too. A woman's diligence at home raising up godly children um, helps up to raise a godly generation. That builds up the body of the church, and that's a powerful means of advancing the kingdom of God. Proverbs 31 speaks of this wise woman who opened her hands to the poor. She served those outside her home. Biblical women are not to be isolationist in their home, but their homes are sort of like gospel outposts. And their love is always reaching out to do others, do good to others in their church, in the, in the world. So for the mothers, um, it's the magnitude of what you're doing and the impact is very big. So don't, don't forget that. Sometimes it feels like a mundane chore, task-oriented life, but um, just try to remember who it is that you are really serving. Um, and for daughters, it's kind of the same thing. Are we encouraging them to be a woman for their own self-fulfillment or to use their helper design that was given to them by God and remind her in those roles who is she really serving? We want to encourage our daughters too. Um, if you have little girls, this will, or have had or were a little girl, you know, we kind of romanticize marriage. You know, it's kind of like this sort of fairy tale thing. Um, and it's easy for a young girl to kind of get swept away with, with the boy. Um, but that is slightly self-centered in its vision of, of, of romance, and it's not a biblical vision of femininity. So we want to affirm our you know, daughter's desire for romance, as appropriate, of course. Um, so the princess movement is not... 100% bad, but, but biblical daughters of kings in the Bible were not just attending balls and being pampered. They were industrious, industrious people. So that 
you know, marriage in, in, in a way is like a, a vocation. I'm almost done. Um, this is really not in, in the study guide, but this was written in 2013. So that was kind of like pre-aggressive, like LGBTQ, you know, stuff. So it, it's, it's a little bit more aggressive and different now. So, you know, we've, we, we've talked about daughters, moms a lot. Um, and even like what's trending now is the question, what, what is a woman? So if that can't be defined, then what are, what are women's rights? Who gets to say? Are there more than two genders? Is gender just a social construct? And you can change it into whatever you want. And so the West has lost guardrails, boundaries, with gender issues. But how should we approach it and critique it using the Scripture? So if you think about gender currently, it's often referred to as a psychological reality that's separate from your biological sex. So it's a subjective self-perception of being male or female, which is separate from your physical existence. So our culture wants us to say that a subjective self-perception can alter an objective truth. Just to accommodate their impression of themselves. So people now separate their mind from their body and that's how they determine who they are. And that's basically gender identity. Um, When the truth is, and we know from God's word, that that's describing how they feel and not who they are. So we're going to go back again to Genesis 127 because that lays out a connection between the image of God and the categories of male and female. And it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Our sex is a reality created by God. This cannot be changed by human minds or human hands. It is a part of his intended design. So more so than just like arguing what's a male, what's female, it's a battle for what's true and real. And we're going to stop there. we got kids coming in. i got the... So that's a touchy subject. Hopefully it came across well and truthful. Um, I know Trevor's a big Bodie Bauckham fan, and he likes to say, I didn't write the mail, I'm just delivering it. So if you have any questions about any of that stuff, I know I kind of broached a sensitive topic at the end, but I'm pretty sure there's like a guy's name and phone number on the worship guide. Like just, I'm kidding. So anyways, thanks for your time and attention, and I'll close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Uh, please help us to um, take, um, take things from this to apply to our lives um, that would affirm the women in our lives and in our uh, church uh, to boost them up and to lift them up and to, to affirm their, them and their role in, in the way that you've provided those uniquely and miraculously in your word. Help us to be kind and caring and to... Um, and to be a good witness and slow to anger. Thank you for forgiveness where we fail you. Help us to 
uh, flee from our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.